For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A federal judge has decided to move a corner crossing case in Wyoming from a state court to a federal court, which could have nationwide implications for how we access public land. We covered this issue here on Cal's Week in Review, and Sam Lundgren has published three in-depth articles over at TheMeatEater.com. If you haven't been following the case too closely, here's a quick refresher. In October of last year, four hunters from Missouri were charged with criminal trespass in Wyoming after they used a ladder to travel between two blocks of public land at the point where the blocks touch. This is called corner crossing, and it's often one of the only ways to access huge chunks of public land in western states. But it's unclear whether the practice is legal because different states and the federal government have reached contradictory conclusions. The hunters in this case were charged with criminal trespass because while in the process of climbing the ladder, they entered the airspace belonging to the landowner of the adjoining blocks of land. Now, if you're confused by this, keep in mind that if you were to stand next to private property and inhale, you could be inhaling private air. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Can you imagine the infringement of those private property rights? My goodness, somebody better get on top of that. I find it absolutely ridiculous if you cannot tell. Anyway, this particular criminal case is ongoing, but there's another civil case stemming from the same incident. In February of this year, the landowner filed a civil suit against the four hunters seeking restitution for alleged damages. The hunters did not damage property, but the suit alleges they interfered with the landowner's right to use, control, and enjoy the property. 
Now, keep in mind, the hunters were on public ground, and this particular person is saying that their use of public ground interfered with his right to use control and enjoy his own private property. So you can imagine the implications of this, right? So anyone who's on public ground within sight borders private ground could be interfering with a private property owner's right to use control and enjoy the property. They need to shut down the interstate next to my condo. This civil case has now been moved to a federal court, and here's where things get interesting. There's no guarantee, but a federal court could issue a ruling that settles, or at least begins to settle, the corner-crossing controversy across the West. There is a potential for this decision to have a nationwide effect. Dave Wilms is an attorney and the senior director for Western Wildlife at the National Wildlife Federation. He's also appeared on the Mediator podcast to discuss the issue. At this point, there are no guarantees about the outcome of the case. Wilms has stressed that this process is only beginning, so don't expect a decision anytime soon. He also said that the judge could issue a narrow ruling that only affects this case without deciding the larger corner-crossing issue, but the possibility for a broader ruling is still there. If that happens and the ruling favors public land users, future hunters could be able to access millions of acres of public land without worrying about harassment or prosecution. The state trial has already begun in the criminal case, and we'll be sure to keep you updated as both cases develop. We should add a little addendum here and let you know that this is not just about hunters accessing public land. There's a lot of amazing public land out there that provides, on top of clean air, freedom, and the American right to roam, plenty of opportunities for non-hunters and anglers. This is an American issue, not just a hunting issue. And something we're going to keep you updated on. This week, we've got turkeys, corner crossing, and don't build your condo on dead folks. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was hot. I visited Tall Timbers in between Tallahassee, Florida and Thomasville, Georgia. Tall Timbers is a nonprofit, not just a catchy name. They also have a long history, but I learned about it through a friend of mine named Brian Broderick, who owns and operates that archery company, Day 6, to make arrows and broadheads and stuff. Real good stuff. Give them a look. Anyway, he introduced me to this guy, Bill Palmer, who's the CEO at Tall Timbers, and Bill started talking about fire. Fire on the landscape, lightning fire, human fire, catastrophic fire, fire that's good for birds, bees, reptiles, bad on ticks. He had my attention. So last week, I flew down and got to meet with a bunch of folks, ecologists, biologists, and yeah, some folks who just like to light things on fire. We hunted turkeys and burned. Super fun and informative. Fortunately, we filmed the whole thing and you can watch it all on a future episode of Cal in the Field, only at the Meat Eater YouTube channel. But until you do, think on this. We know that a lot of this country was actively burned, either by people who were here a long, long, long time before us, or lightning on the landscape. We know this because we can look at the old tree stumps and see the fire scars on trees. Every two or three years, maybe every five years, there was a fire. Keep in mind, not everything was burning at once. Things burned like they do today in an ideal scenario, a mosaic pattern. Kind of like a puzzle laid out, and then you pull a bunch of pieces out of it, and those missing pieces would be like where there's no fire. Rough approximation of a mosaic pattern. 
And because of this continual pattern of burning, the landscape was probably a lot different back then. There were a lot fewer ticks. Forests were not nearly as dense. And there was likely a lot more grass, which is great for turkeys. And I can go on and on and on about fire, and I'm going to get more into it maybe next week or something. But it's very interesting that a lot of places in the West have this idea that fire is bad all the time. Obviously, if there's a raging fire heading towards your house, you're not a big fan of it. But the narrative has got to accept that fire has been a natural part of the world's process for a long, long time. And it's only until us folks with the big brains came around that we decided we knew better. Oh my God, we're having a fire sale. Oh, the burning. Anyway, moving on. Turkey season is heating up across the country. And we have that sizzling turkey news you've been craving. First up, a joint task force between Mississippi Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks and federal law enforcement, perfectly named Operation Longbeard, recently led to a rafter of convictions against the largest turkey poaching ring in history. In a classic example of Pride Goes Before the Fall, Mississippi hunters Kenneth Ray Britt Jr., Tony Smith, Dustin Treadway, and Barney Bearfield started bragging in 2019 about the extraordinary success they were having in the field. A tipster passed these too-good-to-be-ethical claims on to Mississippi FWP, who secured warrants for an in-depth investigation. Turns out, the group had developed a strategy of securing permissions on private ground close by either to public land or other private parcels managed specifically for abundant turkey populations where they didn't have the right to go. They would slip into these off-limit spots, take turkeys, then go back and take their grip and grins where they did have permission. This was not limited to just Mississippi. Operation Longbeard tracked the ring to Kansas and Nebraska as well. 12 federal charges were also leveled in addition to 286 charges at the state level as the group transported poached birds across state lines in violation of the Lacey Act. All in all, the ring will pay more than $100,000 in fines as well as the loss of hunting privileges for several years. I guess it's true what they say. Can't soar with the eagles if you're surrounded by turkeys. Am I right? Next up, Pennsylvania wildlife researchers recently discovered a turkey ham still alive and strutting at the ripe old age of 12 and a half years. For context, most turkeys in the wild don't live past two or three at the most. As part of a wildlife study back in 2012, Pennsylvania Conservation Officer Chris Ivicic, that's I-V-I-C-I-C, tagged the bird when she was already one and a half. Then, after more than a decade of dodging coyotes, SUVs, and freezing winters, the same bird was trapped as part of another state turkey research project. And that same beat-up leg band from the original study told the tale. According to Tony Musselman, one of the techs on this year's study said, quote, I would have told you she was a three- or four-year-old ham. She looked healthy. She looked great. In response, the turkey hen said, What a gentleman! That Tony Musselman! Stop it! Stop! At least that's how I think Pennsylvania turkey hens talk. (laughs) Moving on. You likely already know that all birds are descended from dinosaur ancestors, but according to a study of avian genomics by researchers at the University of Kent in England, contemporary chickens and turkeys are more closely related to their ancient lizard kin than any other bird alive today. 
the Kent researchers found that both birds, part of the order Galliforms and family Phasianidae, experienced fewer gross genomic changes than other birds as they evolved over millions of years. One anatomical clue bearing out this genetic relationship between the turkey and the T-Rex is the wishbone, also known as the furcula. A big difference between your chest anatomy and that of the Tyrannosaur and Velociraptor is that you have two separate collarbones. This sacrifices some structural integrity in exchange for a wider range of motion. But in these carnivorous dinosaurs, the furcula formed a one-piece collarbone with a more rigid structure for gripping prey. Over millions of years, that same bridge structure elongated and became more flexible to allow birds to flap their wings with enough force and spring to become airborne. Other birds, like the zebra finch and kestrel, kept evolving further away from dinosaurs to become better and better flyers. But chickens and turkeys changed more slowly, staying on the ground and only flapping shorter distances. So maybe this season, after you've called in that big tom and are lining up the bead of your shotgun on his waddle, squint just a bit and imagine you've got a T-Rex in your sights. You wouldn't be too far off. Then imagine that wary bird with hardly the cranium space for a brain weighs in at about three tons and is using that near 360 degree vision to hunt you or anything else that looks slightly edible and moves. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay. Even when I'm dead, that's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cal. That's meatfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the legislation desk. A U.S. representative from Tennessee introduced a bill this month that would ban so-called wildlife-killing contests on all public land in the United States. The bill, creatively titled the Prohibit Wildlife-Killing Contests Act of 2022, was introduced by Tennessee Rep. Stephen Cohen, along with 15 co-sponsors. It's also being promoted by a who's who of animal rights groups, including the Center for Biological Diversity, the Humane Society, and Project Coyote. It's time for us to end the mass slaughter contests of America's wild carnivores once and for all, said Stephanie Kuros, a senior policy specialist at the Center for Biological Diversity. The senseless killing of our most persecuted wildlife on public lands should have never been allowed. Congress should pass this legislation quickly so we can finally spare our, get ready, this is my favorite part, native animals from these ruthless kill fests. Ruthless kill fests. Now, kill fest is a great word, but ruthless has always confused me, so I figured I would get a hold of our good friend at Webster's Dictionary and help us all out. Ruthless can be defined as without Ruth, or having no Ruth. The noun Ruth, R-U-T-H, means compassion for the misery of another, sorrow for one's own faults, or remorse. And, just as it is possible for one to be without Ruth, it is also possible to be full of Ruth. Ruthful, meaning full of Ruth, or tender. Ruthful can also mean full of sorrow, or causing sorrow. Ruth can be traced back to the Middle English noun, R-U-T-H-E, itself from rune, meaning to rue, or to feel regret, remorse, or sorrow. Now, you're welcome. No, 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 no need to thank me. Ruthless, ruthful. Now that we're all on the same page, back to the topic of kill fests. It's worth noting that not every kind of native animal made the cut. If you read the bill, you'll notice that it makes an exception for ungulates, turkeys, ducks, fish, shellfish, and crustaceans. Representative Cohen and the Center for Biological Diversity haven't explained why these animals aren't worthy of protection from hunting contests. Of course, despite its name, the bill isn't designed to protect all wildlife. It's designed to target predator hunting contests for species like coyotes and bobcats. These competitions take a variety of forms, but most give winning prizes to the participants who bring back the greatest number of animals or the heaviest individual. 
Supporters of these contests argue that they help control predator populations that prey on livestock, harm agriculture, and sometimes attack people. These contests do not represent a population-level threat to any target species, and some are even promoted by wildlife management agencies. Representative Cohen and his allies argue that predator hunting contests do not accomplish any of these aims. Based on this claim, they make the case that these contests have no legitimate purpose and therefore break the principles set forth in the North American wildlife conservation model. I won't spend much time diving into this topic, but I am always amused when animal rights groups take two contradictory positions at the same time. In this case, they argue both that predator contests present a threat to the environment and that these events have no impact whatsoever. If these events help control populations, they have a legitimate purpose under the North American Wildlife Conservation Model. If they pose no threat to target populations, why are animal rights groups so up in arms? Some try to square this circle by arguing that we should ban predator contests because it makes hunters look bad. While I appreciate that animal rights groups are concerned about the perception of hunters among the general public, I can't say I'm eager to take PR advice from PETA. This is a national bill, but similar bills have been considered in state legislatures across the country. Eight states, Arizona, California, New Mexico, Vermont, Massachusetts, Colorado, and Washington already ban predator hunting contests. New Jersey and New York are considering similar bans right now, so this is one issue to keep track of in your state capital. If you want to get in touch with your duly elected about the pending federal legislation, the bill number is H.R. 7398. While you're at it, you can also contact your U.S. Senators about Utah Senator Mike Lee's new bill, the Houses Act. We covered this bill in episode 152, but now it's been formally introduced. The bill would make it easier for the federal government to sell public land to state and local governments on the cheap. The legislation is being sold as a way to address the housing shortage, but I'm skeptical it will do anything of the kind. And not just because Senator Mike Lee has a very clear record of wanting the United States to get rid of public land. I'm also skeptical that there's going to be anything affordable about these houses. Now, from a real estate perspective, I'll tell you this. If every so often a bunch of folks rally and try to get Congress to make it so somebody can buy your land, that's land that you don't want to sell because it's just going to get more and more valuable. I'm talking, of course, about our public lands. Every so often, a bunch of yahoos get together and try to figure out ways that they can steal it from us. That's because it's incredibly valuable and we shouldn't be selling it. It's an incredible gift. Protect it. Tell Mike Lee where to shove it. Speaking of houses, the U.S. House of Representatives is considering a bill that would prohibit the Department of Interior from entering into easements lasting more than 50 years. Permanent easements on private land are one of the most effective ways hunters and conservationists have been able to protect critical wildlife habitat. These easements are always voluntary on the part of the landowner, but they help make sure land that is protected today stays protected for future generations. This bill would jeopardize this critical conservation tool. Call your representatives today and tell them how you feel about the Landowner Easement Rights Act. One more piece of federal policy news for you. The Supreme Court ruled 5-4 last week to temporarily reinstate a Trump-era rule that limited a state or tribe's ability to veto development projects based on clean water concerns. 
The 2020 rule prevented these entities from blocking projects for any reason other than threat of direct pollution into the state's waterways and gave states and tribes only one year to act. The rule had been struck down by a federal district court, but the Supreme Court's latest decision reinstates it, and we don't know why. Moving on to the city desk. The city of Pittsburgh is asking residents to complete a survey on their experiences with urban wildlife. The responses will be used by a graduate student at Duquesne University to develop a guidebook to support city residents in their interactions with wild animals. The survey asks residents to rate from intensely dislike to enjoy very much how much they appreciate seeing each kind of animal within city limits. Raccoons, deer, coyotes, skunks, snakes, crows, and several other species make the list. The survey also asks about whether residents have pets, whether they feed wild animals, whether they feel safe, and whether they've trapped or killed any animals on their property. The data hasn't been released yet, but this survey is guaranteed to be very entertaining. It also supposedly demonstrates that city folks are often just as concerned about wildlife as rural people. Sometimes, wild animals cause even more trouble in an urban environment. We've covered on this podcast, for example, how wild turkeys damage property and attack postal workers. Whitetail cause over a million car accidents every year, and the frequency of coyote attacks on humans is increasing. That's just the mundane stuff. We aren't even talking about escaped zebras or the entire state of Texas. But don't think that city residents always want to get rid of their wild neighbors. Many, like Seattle University professor Mark Jordan, think we should be working towards coexistence rather than eradication. Treating every non-human living organism in the city like a nuisance is fighting an uphill battle. It does not behoove you to try to eradicate all the animals in the city. You'll never win. You need to find better ways to coexist with them. Partly due to that more welcoming attitude, more animals are living in city centers than ever before. This gives residents a chance to see and interact with wildlife without having to leave the city. It could also offer residents hunting opportunities they've never had. Meat Eater's Mark Kenyon just published a super interesting article on TheMeatEater.com that chronicles his experience hunting whitetail in a ritzy neighborhood near Washington, D.C. Virginia allows archery hunting in certain urban areas, and he got connected with a veteran hunter, Taylor Chamberlain, to show him the ropes. Mark had to dodge hostile neighbors and noisy landscapers, but he saw quite a few deer, including several mature bucks. He got a shot off at a doe, but she ran into a neighboring yard. When he asked permission to recover the animal, the neighbor called the cops. Sounds like she wanted the uh, venison all to herself. Moving on to the real estate desk. On a property slated to become an ultra-luxury condo high-rise in Miami, prehistoric artifacts including human remains have been discovered, bringing the multi-billion dollar project to a standstill. News outlets have been calling the find quote-unquote prehistoric, as they could date to about 2,000 years ago, before any surviving records, but we actually know quite a bit about the people who left these artifacts, the Tequesta people. Because in 1549, a 13-year-old Spanish boy named Hernando de Escalante Fontanara was shipwrecked off the coast of Florida and captured by the indigenous people there. He lived among them for 17 years, learned their languages, and wrote a book about his experience. It is no accident that both the Tequesta and the real estate developers were drawn to this part of Miami. 
It's right where the Miami River flows into Biscayne Bay. Today, that makes for a nice view, but back then, it meant groceries. According to Fontanata, the Tequesta consumed large volumes of seafood, seals, whales, turtles, lobster, porpoises, sailfish, stingrays, and sharks. And you guessed it, manatees. Many Tequesta archaeological sites also contained large quantities of deer bones. So you know, their cuisine was likely right up my alley. According to our contacts in the Miami real estate market, the two things every developer dreads discovering on a site are, quote, bald eagle nests and Native American bones. Anyone wanting to excavate a site in the city's historic district is required to employ an archaeological consultant to determine whether artifacts are present. The developer of this Brickell site, the related group, issued a statement saying that the archaeological find is, quote, not unusual for construction projects in this area and has not delayed our development plans. Isn't that nice? Despite the PR speak, this site is directly adjacent to the location of a famous Miami real estate debacle. In 1998, remains of a Tequesta settlement were discovered just as a developer was about to break ground, and after a public outcry, a plan to move the settlement was scuttled along with the building project itself. But don't cry too much for that developer. After buying the property for $8.5 million, he managed to sell it to the state of Florida for $26.7 million which unfortunately just proves that horrific line about real estate, which is, if there's blood in the streets, buy real estate. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. Now that spring has sprung, don't let those neighbors get over the top of you. You know, you got to keep up with them Joneses. Hustle down to the nearest steel dealer near you by going to www.steeldealers.com. They'll get you set up with a leaf blower, chainsaw, weed whacker, or anything else you need to defend your property from nosy neighbors. Most importantly, they'll get you set up with what you need, and they won't send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.